To start, I want to point out that the whole book is really trying to help us understand our identity in Christ. Uh, what, do, what would you say your identity is? Uh, in other words, what do you believe about yourself? Do you believe that you are a morning person? <laughs> Maybe not. Uh, do you believe that you are a diligent worker uh, or a procrastinator, a social media addict, a good nurse, a good husband? Uh, do you believe that you are a terrible mathematician? <laughs> uh, what do you believe about yourself? What is the picture that you paint of yourself? How would you describe yourself? There's just so many different options and so many different ways we describe ourselves all the time. We can really change that description though, can't we? I mean, if we're not a morning person, we could go to bed a little bit earlier, adjust our schedules, maybe adjust our habits a little bit, and become a morning person. Really, that's not a trait that we're born with. That's actually probably more so a habit that we have fallen into. Uh, and, and that goes with a number of things. If I'm not a good nurse or not a good um, preacher or whatever, then I can actually work harder toward that goal and maybe get to the point where that is who I am, that I am much better at whatever it is that I identify with, whatever I think that I, I, I really want to be. Uh, it's a matter of adjusting my habits and the way that I live my life. But on a spiritual level, there is an identity that we can't change. We can change a lot of things about ourselves uh, in this life, but spiritually, there's an identity that we are, are powerless to change. And that's what we're going to be learning about this morning in the book of Ephesians. In verse 1 of chapter 2, the very first word is and. What does that imply? <laughs> that the chapter division is not really appropriate, but... I mean, to be honest, and to be fair, the first chapter of Ephesians is so packed with information that maybe the guy who decided to bring a chapter break is trying to give us a little bit of a break. Um, it does kind of transition over into a little bit more plain speaking. The first chapter was full of deep and, and difficult thoughts and ideas, and we studied through one chapter in four lessons uh, over the last... A couple of months. But we see here the word and is pointing us back to that first chapter and kind of making the point that what we're about to study requires us to at least have some brief understanding of that first chapter. So I'm going to try to summarize in a minute what we spent uh, two hours talking about over the last uh, couple of months. Ephesians chapter 1 is mind-blowing. God is, is revealed to us in the words of Paul as being one who has been planning to adopt a group of people to be his own special people. And he's been planning to do that since the beginning of time. Before anything was created, he had this plan, this intention in his mind to have his own special people who he would adopt and he would bless and he would forgive and that he would make to the praise of his glory. 
really it kind of transitions in chapter 1 to say that, that we need to know the hope of the calling that God has given us. God has saved us from uh, destruction and redeemed us that we might be to the praise of His glory. And Paul prays, wanting us to know the hope of that calling and the power that God has toward us who believe. That God is working with us. That God is working in our lives and through us to make us into what brings Him glory. If you want more detail about all of that, I encourage you to listen to those sermons again. But at the end of that, he says, he wants him to know, he wants the Ephesians to know more fully the power that God has toward us as he has demonstrated that power by raising Jesus up from the dead and by seating Jesus at his right hand. So he says at the end of chapter 1, that he wishes we would just know, he wishes there was a way for us to understand more fully the power that God has as he has raised Jesus up from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God over everything. And he says, I want you to know that that power is toward us who believe. Do we feel that way? That the power that rose Jesus from the grave, ascended him up to the right hand of the throne of God, is working toward us who believe. Chapter 2 is going to help us believe that and understand it more fully as we study it this morning. The first thing he says is, and you were dead. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. He says, you were dead. To begin with, you were dead. Sin brought about your death. Now, what does that mean? Whenever he says, you were dead. We, weren't, we haven't died yet. We're still alive. Well, of course, spiritual death is what he's referring to. It's the very thing that we read about in Genesis at the very beginning of time, right? If the, on the day you eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Adam and Eve ate. They died spiritually and they were kicked out of the garden as a result, separated from God because of their sins. Well, the same thing has happened to us. We were tempted, we had desires, and we wanted to know what it was like to enter into that sin and, and do those things because, as Paul puts it so eloquently, the world has shown us the way. We just followed the course of the world. We just did what the world told us is the way that we ought to live and the things that we ought to do. And he says, you followed the passions of your flesh. And we all did this. 
We all followed the passions, the desires that, that, that came up inside of us. And we said, well, it feels right, so that's what we are going to do. We're going to do what feels right to us. We're going to do what the world tells us is good, what the world tells us is right, what the world tells us will bring us happiness and satisfaction. Paul says, you were dead when you entered into those sins. Those things that you decided to do. Now the interesting thing about this statement here in Ephesians is uh, we don't like to consider ourselves dead. And in fact, if you were to go out and talk to anybody who has no idea what the Bible says and ask them, are you dead? Many of them would say no. In fact, they would, they would give you the impression that they are a good person. Uh, I, I am a good person. I do good things and... And you shouldn't call me a bad person or dead. I mean, surely God is okay with me. Why would they say that? This text tells us. Because everything they're doing in life, everything we were doing in life, was in accordance with the world's standards. And it was in, in accordance with our own passions and our own desires. And it just made sense and there's no real pushback from anybody around us. So we feel pretty good. We feel alive. And we give in to that deception. But he says, no. You're not good. We have not all been good. Is there a single person here who has not pursued sex, money, possessions, power, and glory as their God? As the thing that will give them satisfaction, as the thing that will give them joy, as the thing that they could hold on to and, and find eternal satisfaction? Is there anybody here who has not replaced the one true God, the creator and the sustainer of everything we have in life, with one of these things? We've all done it. The world has used every tool at its disposal to lead us down that path. There's television, there's internet, there's social media, there's advertisements. There's, there's so many things that are working against us to bring us to this belief system that the way of the world is good and we are a part of that and everything's okay. And you can enjoy your sex and your money and your possessions and your power and, and you can pursue those with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength and all your mind and you will find bliss. And we believe it. And Paul says... By carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. We did what Adam and Eve did, and we were worthy of destruction, and we were worthy of death. We did what throughout the Old Testament all of Israel did over and over and over again. We are no different. We have made these same mistakes, and we are worthy of wrath and judgment from God. Because we are no different from everybody else who is worthy of wrath and judgment from God. We have entered into the same state of sinning and rebelling against the will of God. So we too are dead. And it's a horrible situation for us to be in. 
You imagine someone who's dead can do nothing. They're just dead. Unable to help themselves become alive again. They're just there, paralyzed, stricken, restricted. But notice what he says next. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Notice, we were completely dead, but... We became strong. We became wise. We became righteous. And we determined within ourselves to save ourselves from death and to become alive. No. We were dead and we were helpless. We were unable to do what we needed to do. And even when we were in that dead state, that state of rebelliousness, that state of sin, that state of slavery, that state of helplessness, God sought to make us alive. But that's not all. It also says, He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavenly places. God didn't just stop at making us alive. He decided to bring us and seat us with Him in the heavenly places by putting us into Christ, which is in the heavenly places at the right hand of God, His Son. We are in Christ. We are in the heavenly places, raised alive and ruling with Christ on His throne. That's a tremendous blessing that God has desired to give to mankind. And he says, we have experienced that. Those of us who are in Christ, those of us who have received the blessings that he talked about in the first chapter, have received all of this even though we were dead. Now why in the world would God do this? So many times we might just overlook this idea that that God wanted to uh, save us and He saved us and we're saved. And, and not really just stop and think, why did God do that? Well, He tells us two reasons. First of all, He says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, He looked on us in our dead state. And He didn't think, I hope they get what they deserve for rebelling against me, for not listening to me. I give them everything that they, they enjoy in life, and here they are rebelling against me. I hope they get what they deserve. That's not how he acted. He looked on us with love and mercy in our dead state, 
and he desired to make us alive. His heart was aching to bring us to him, to have a relationship restored with us, even though we were dead and useless. He wanted us. And the second reason is, he says, so that he raised us with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Why did God bring us from death to life? What does that text tell us? So that in the future, in the coming ages, his identity can be set in stone, set in a, in, a, in a way that can never be removed, that he is a God full of compassion and mercy and love toward us who believe. God wanted to make it a, a statement of his love and his compassion and his mercy toward us, even though we are dead in our sins. Read that again. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Think about this for a second. God saved us from death to life so that he could be kind to us forever. So that he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace toward us in the coming ages. So that he could continually be gracious. So that he can continually be forgiving. So that he can continually be merciful to us through the coming ages. Why does he do all of this? Because he wants to show how great he really is to everybody. We were created in God's image back in Genesis we were created to be his image bearers so that all the world could see who he is, his glory. And all of us have fallen short of the glorious image of God. All of us. We fail to measure up to the, the, the greatness of God and, and to bear the image of God fully so that everybody can see because we, we, we sin. But look at what he says here. God is going to show his glory to the world through us by forgiving us. He doesn't need us to, to demonstrate his glory. He, he shows us grace to demonstrate his glory. That grace allows his glory to be seen forever. As he is forgiving toward us, he receives more glory. And so it is to his benefit now to give us grace and mercy and forgiveness. He just receives more and more glory. And this was his desire. As he looked upon us, he loved us, he wanted to have mercy on us, but he also saw, I can make them to the praise of my glory by being gracious toward them forever. And then they'll walk around as my image bearers that show who I really am 
because they are forgiven. In spite of all their failures, in spite of their, their, their falling short of my glory, look at how I'm willing to be patient and merciful and compassionate toward them. Look at how I'm willing to forgive them and see who I am, that I am good. Amazing statement. But as we look at this, we see God has raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Wouldn't we like to know a little bit more about that? How exactly does God resurrect us with Christ and seat us with Christ in the heavenly places? Let's, let's talk about that a little bit. That was actually what the scripture reading uh, before the sermon was revolving around, going to Romans chapter 6, where we see a very similar idea of God has brought us from death to life, except he explains more fully what happened and how we were brought from death to life. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, it says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? You can see how some people might think that. Well, the more God has to give grace to us, the more glory he receives. <laughs> so let's just keep sinning so that his grace will abound and then he'll receive more glory. And Paul says, no, that's not that's not it. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried with him, therefore. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. You see the picture of resurrection here and saying that we have experienced a spiritual resurrection uh, of power, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave and seated him at the right hand of God, was demonstrated toward us, raising us from spiritual death and bringing us to newness of life, when? When we were baptized into Christ, we received resurrection. And really the point of all of this that, that Paul's getting at is not, you know, that you all, you all should have been baptized. No, that's not really the point. The point is, you were baptized, and when you were baptized... Your old dead self was put to death. And you were raised to walk in newness of life. You were raised to live a new life. That's not like the old life. The life that pursues the way of this world. The life that pursues the passions of your flesh. The desires of your mind. You're, you were recreated to be like Jesus, to be image bearers, to glorify God, not just because he is forgiving you, though that is going to bring him glory, but to be instruments of righteousness as we go out into the world. And he continues in Romans 6 to tell us that more fully, uh, and, and we'll see that a little bit at the end, but... Uh, it's an amazing statement that God has resurrected us. 
He's brought us from death to life. Whenever we go into the waters of baptism, we are buried with Christ. Whenever we raise up, we are raised with Christ. We are in Christ. We are joined to Christ. We are ascending into heaven to the right hand of God, seated next to God in Christ because of the powerful working of God who makes us alive forever and frees us from the slavery that we had to sin through the blood of Jesus. This is the picture that he's trying to give to us as he, as he says these things in Ephesians. Now, a lot of times people in denominations will go to Ephesians 2 because it doesn't mention baptism. But it does. In referring to the resurrection, there's uh, only one time when we go through the resurrection and we are made alive. And that is when we enter into baptism and we are resurrected to walk in newness of life. That is the, the way that God has ordained that we would enter into new life. But a lot of people don't agree with that. And I understand that a lot of people don't agree with that. I think it's because their perspective of what baptism is is a little bit skewed. Uh, and I want to try to help with that a little bit uh, as, as we study this text further. Look with me at verses 8 through 10. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Notice, first of all, that God is the one who did this. God is the one who brought about the resurrection that we, if we are believers who have entered into Christ, enjoy. God did this, we did not do this. This is not the result of the working of man. This is not because I did something right to fix myself. We're saved by grace because of God's gift through faith. And the only thing that we really did in order to be saved is submit to God. We saw that we were dead. We saw what God did. We heard the message preached to us and we said... I submit to you. I believe and I submit my will to yours, my heart to yours. I will do what you ask me to do. But that does not mean that we saved ourselves. It doesn't mean that we saved ourselves. We don't do our part while God does His. I know I've said that in the past, uh, a few years ago maybe. But that's not really the way that this is portrayed in 8 through 10. By grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. You didn't do this. God did this. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And typically this is where people against baptism, not really against baptism, but who say baptism isn't required or something like that, go, is this is a work that you do, and, and you're not saved by works. Well, notice... Even faith is not really something that you do that you're saved by. It's something that you do in response to the grace that's given to you, and God saves you through faith. But notice how he says this is, is indicating that we don't decide to have faith 
and then save ourselves. Like, we don't just, out of nowhere, say, say, you know, God has been, he's created me, and he's done everything for me, and you know what, I think I'm going to submit my life to him and find him. We don't do that. God acted first. Without God's working, none of us would choose to have faith in God. Faith comes, Romans 10, 17, through the word. If God would not have spoken, we would not have heard, and we would not have changed our mind to put our faith and trust in him. So technically, what, what Paul is saying here, and technically, not a single person who believes saved themselves. And this is the way we must view our salvation, that we were dead. We were unable to make ourselves alive. We needed God's gospel. We needed Jesus to come to earth and to reveal God's plan. And without that, we would still be dead and hopeless. Without God giving the law, we would still be dead and hopeless. The picture that we have in Scripture is that God has drawn us to Him by giving Jesus, by giving the gospel, by giving the good news. He initiated the work of salvation in every person who believes by drawing us to Him through the gospel. And we have no grounds to boast because we aren't so great and so wise and so strong and so mighty that we figured it all out without God's help. God revealed it to us through the gospel. So we have no grounds to boast. Because who could boast about submitting to someone who's greater, who does everything for us to reveal to us our death and to reveal to us the hope we have of life? We have no grounds for boasting. And that's what Paul is making very clear here. It doesn't matter what we do in response to the gospel we hear. Faith is not a work we do to save ourselves. Repentance is not a work we do to save ourselves. Baptism is not a work we do to save ourselves. God saved us by giving us the truth, and we simply submit and respond with obedience. We have faith, we repent. And we let God do the work he has promised he would do when we are baptized. So, baptism is not a work that we do. And this is the thing that so much of the debate goes back and forth on. Oh, you believe you're saved because you were baptized, because you did all these works. No, I believe I was saved because God gave his son to die for me. And I trust that in my baptism, he'll do exactly what he said he would do. He, will he has resurrected me from death to life. He has forgiven me of all my sins. And he has added me to Christ, who is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's not because I'm so great, because I was baptized. <laughs> How ridiculous is that? I'm great because I chose to be baptized. No. There's no boasting in that. Give me a break. It's about submitting to God's will, whatever it is. 
and accepting the grace he offers to us. So then the question for all of us is, are we still dead in our sins? Have we been resurrected from death to life? Because eternal life is available through Jesus for all who submit their will to God's will. Who, for all who say, you know what, I see the, the message you're giving me. I see the grace you're offering to me. And I want that so bad. Lord, I'll do whatever you say. I want you. I love you. Tell me what to do. I told you. Confess, repent, be baptized. And God will forgive every sin. And he will use you as his image bearer for all the coming ages to see his kindness and his, his grace. Even though you were completely dead, even though we all have been completely dead and, and unworthy of anything that God blesses us with because of our sins, because of all the things that we've done, we can be to the praise of his glory. If you're here this morning and you have been resurrected to walk in newness of life, are you living for God now? Are you living as though you're alive or are you still living as though you were dead? Are you still pursuing the ways of the world? Are you still pursuing the passions and the desires of the flesh? That's our struggle. The rest of Ephesians is going to talk about overcoming those passions and those desires because of the power that God is working in our lives, because God is with us, helping us overcome these things. And I hope that you can join us on Sunday nights as we study that. But we see here God has a purpose in mind when he saves us. Notice at the end there it says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Should we go on sinning that grace may abound? No, God, God saved us with a desire to make us better, and to make us good and do good works and to put off the works of the flesh. God prepared beforehand a way to transform us, our hearts, our minds, our lives, to be of service to Him. We who are in Christ were recreated for good works. This spiritual life that He offers us gives us the power to choose God's way and leave behind the way of death. I'd like to end with reading Romans chapter 6. Verse 12 through 16, it says, Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. And your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. What then? Are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? By no means. 
Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either, either of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to righteousness? He says essentially live as you are. You're alive in Christ. Live as though you are alive. Live as though you live for God. You're pursuing His ways. And understand, if you make yourself a slave of sin again, that will result in death again. Verse 16. Don't obey sin because it leads to death. But be obedient because it leads to righteousness. This is what God is wanting to make in us. That we would be a special people who love Him and want to do all of His will and serve Him every day of our life. I hope that this message has encouraged you as it has encouraged me. And I hope that if there's anybody here who understands all these things and realizes you're lacking in some way, that you will be striving to know God, to know Christ, to love God, to love Christ even more so that we can all be like Him and receive all the blessings He's promised us. But remember... Eternal life doesn't come because we try really hard. It comes because God loved us enough to show us mercy and bring us from death to life through the offering of His Son for our sins. If you need to do anything this morning, we want to encourage you and help you in any way we can. Please come forward as we stand and as we sing.